And so starting in Luke chapter 6, I'm just going to read, starting verse 12, and then we'll go back and talk about this. So this is just after we talked about that uh, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, and, and Luke provides us with two instances where on different Sabbaths where Jesus gets some pushback and what we did, I guess it was last week, I, we took a minute and I challenged you to, hey man, make sure and protect the Sabbath and, and, and honor the Sabbath and like build a hedge of protection around that thing. And what we talked about was, because if you don't, you'll blink and you'll realize that you are, we look exactly like the rest of the world. That remember, the church is supposed to be distinct from the culture, you know, and so when I, I always argue, and you can disagree with me, this is my opinion, that, that's fine, you can disagree with my opinion, you can say all you want, but if you show me your checkbook and your calendar, I'll tell you where your heart truly is, you know what I mean? We can sing all the Jesus songs we want, we can say all the things, we can put all the posts on the Facebooks, and, and we, can, we can do all the, the stuff about where our heart truly is, but I mean it. If you show me your checkbook and your calendar, I'm pretty sure I could actually tell you where your heart is, where it lies, right? And, and the reason for that is because Jesus said, hey, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And sure, he was talking about money, but the greatest treasure any of us will ever have is a, uh, is a, is a certain commodity that you can't make, you can't create, and it is time. It is yourself. And so in this season, remember, the number one thing that is going to be marketed the number one thing that is fought for more than anything else billions that was with a b billions of dollars will be spent on your attention you understand that right that's where all the money goes is people are trying to purchase your affections they're trying to get your time and your money and so that's why I say, man, and that's why even Jesus says, he said, hey, show me where your treasure is and I'll show you where your heart is. And so all that to say, um, man, that's why we got to be careful with the Sabbath is to take, make sure you're taking time to set aside time that you, you block things out, that you don't get in the rush and the hubbub of the, the Christmas season. That, and I think even sometimes the church, we get caught up in that too. And man, has anyone ever been through like, like you're you you got these people around you that are, that you love, and it's like, hey, we have another Christmas uh, party, and it becomes this thing that is supposed to be a blessing has become a burden. Anyone else, by the way, honestly, you bunch of liars, none of y'all raising your hand. Honestly, aren't these things that should be a blessing? Because we're so busy, they turn into a burden. Oh, we got another Christmas party to go to. Oh, we got another Sunday school Christmas party. We got another this thing, another that thing, right? And the reason is because we don't protect our time. We don't Sabbath, and we, we just add these things on to our already insanely busy schedule. And we wonder why we're exhausted. And we wonder why there's very little life in some of us. We wonder why some of us are just... We feel like we're just like just trudging along through the mud and we can't seem to get ahead. And, and Jesus says, man, I made you, I didn't make you that way. I made you to rest. And so um, anyways, that, that may fall on deaf ears because right now some of y'all are thinking I'm super busy. Russell, you don't know how important I am. Russell, you don't, I, they need me at work. 
I need, I, I have to work 60 hours a week. Honestly, some of y'all, like, you're, you're already putting up these blocks. I can see it in your eyes. It's funny. You realize in this room, if you can see me, I can see you. You understand that, don't you? <laughs> like, I can see, like, like, I'm not even kidding. Like, I can watch at times, and I, I don't ever say it, I can watch people put up barricades. I can watch the truth of God being spoken, and I can watch people's faces and their demeanor harden. I can watch it happen. You understand that, right? You, like, I'm right here. I can see you, right? And so even now, it's funny, as I'm sitting here talking about our two most precious commodities, money and time, I can watch some of y'all think, mm-mm. I can, I can watch you harden your heart. You don't understand. You, I can't do that. And so, anyways, my job is not to change your mind. Luckily, that's the Holy Spirit, so I'm going to let you take that up between you and Him. My job is just to be the messenger and say, hey man, I hope you're receptive of God. Do not quench the Holy Spirit's fire. So, anyways, there you go. You just got Jesus juked and burned. So, and that's why He said... That's why Jesus says, man, I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I made it for you. I made, for, I made you to rest. I made you to rest. I didn't make you to go 100,000 miles an hour. And so, and, and the last thing I'll say about it is, you know, if someone's like, hey, what is God's plan for my life? Here's my answer. I don't know. But I do know if you are so busy, you can't make time to have dinner with someone at your church. I'll just make it real practical. If you're so busy, you don't have any free time to actually engage with other human beings face-to-face, I will say this, that is not God's plan for your life. Is that fair? I know that's not His plan. Now, so what's God's plan for your life? I don't know, but that's not it, man. That ain't it. So, and that's not, that doesn't make you important. That In our culture, that's the new badge of honor we wear. I'm so busy. And Anyways. I'll keep going. So that was, we talked about the Sabbath, and I challenge you, man, honor, protect the Sabbath, let go of busyness, let go of perfectionism, let go of having to appear like it's all together. It's exhausting. And so then uh, Jesus has these encounters, and He has these conflicts with these guys. And then um, verse 12, it says, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying uh, to God. So, I want to just pause there for a second. It's interesting, after we just talked about Sabbathing, is that Jesus, he has this big decision coming up. He has this big thing coming up, and he spends all night. Think about that. He th- Think about what this took for him, right? And by the way, we, you think you're important? <laughs> you think you're busy? Ha ha. Here's, here's God in the flesh. Don't miss this. He had a couple years here on earth. We think it was three and a half of his actual ministry years. He literally had people that would bring their sick and dying children, and he was their only chance. Like he's their only hope. And he would heal and heal and preach and preach. And I'm, I'm trying to dismantle this idea of me being important. We think we're so important. Can you imagine Jesus? He has so limited time. And think about this. And we know there are multiple times where people needed to be healed and he would walk away. That he would go and get by himself. This is not my opinion. I'm just telling you what's straight from the book. 
that there, now think about this. There were times, I mean, I'm not trying to get emotional. I'm not one to try to, to try to uh, manipulate you into a response. But think about you're holding your child. And your kid is sick. And doctors say, we have no idea what's wrong with your kid. But there's this rabbi in Capernaum. If you can get to him, I am. We are hearing some crazy things. Like I know this guy that, that he, like I heard just last week, there was a guy that had a shriveled hand. And, and this rabbi healed on the Sabbath in front of everybody. And I heard this other story that this dude couldn't see. And this rabbi spit in some mud and rubbed it in his eyes and told him to go wash out. I know, kind of weird. But then the dude could see and and I heard this other story of this woman who had been bleeding her entire life and he just touched her and the stories go on now think about this and you're holding your sick kid and you go to get to this man and at one point he is surrounded he's so popular people can't even get into the house to see him you're waiting you're waiting you're waiting and then uh, once the crowd dies down you say hey where is this guy and people say he just disappeared he, did, he went up on the mountainside to pray. And, the, and, and, and you go up to the, these guys, hey, hey, Peter, James, you're with him a lot, right? What is he doing? And they say, this is what he does. Like he, he gets off by himself. He disappears and he is completely alone. Doesn't he know that I need him? Doesn't he know that my life is real hard right now? And they say, yeah. But he must do this. He has to connect with the Father. Otherwise, we don't know. This is his plan, right? So all that to say, I know that we're all super busy. I know we're all super important. And I know that we're, we're too busy to, to put aside time with the Father. But let's just put it in perspective. Imagine you had three and a half years and you were people's only hope, right? Yet Jesus still says, I've got to get away by my self and even the fact that he goes up on a mountainside he doesn't go into a closet it's not a 10 minute thing like there's there's this mountain they're pretty sure they know the mountain that he that he would climb up near Capernaum and I've climbed that mountain a couple times and it's not a five minute hike you know that like in in East Texas we we go hiking and when we say hiking we just mean walking outside I'm like you're not hiking you you got hiking boots on but you're just walking on a flat path in other parts of the world, they have these things called hills. Yeah, and even at point, they have these things called mountains. And so point being that Jesus would spend time getting to the place to where he could be alone with the Father. I'm going to repeat that. That it maybe it even took some time to get to the place to where he could be alone. Maybe it took some time for him to get rid of the distractions, to get rid of the noise. Maybe it took a few minutes for him to get to that place where he's alone. And in our culture, we ironically don't have time for that. You follow? That wasn't supposed to be a cute play on words. But in our culture, we have no ears for that. Hey, it may take a minute to come into the presence of the Lord. It, it may take more than what's my... Um, what's my uh, daily devotion you know like there's books out there that literally that literally they're like four minute devotions for men they geared towards men usually what if it takes a couple minutes to actually get there right what if it takes five minutes (laughs) right you know anyways uh one of those days jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to god 
Verse 13, when morning came, he called his disciples to him. Okay, so time out there. So we're about to categorize two groups of people. Jesus was always surrounded by people. Um, it, he usually had like hundreds of people following him. It, sometimes he had thousands of people. Thousands of people. Like 10, 12, 14, 16,000 at a time. Um, and he had disciples that would follow him and his disciples these the word disciple means learner and so these are the people that wanted to follow a rabbi and Jesus was a rabbi and so uh, he had several hundred probably around 120 130 disciples and uh, when you read scripture the disciples were men um, and women and he had a lot of them and and some of them were really devoted and some of them not so much some of them would leave after he stopped feeding them and so what he does he 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 called his disciples to him we don't know how many he called right here um, we don't know if it's 25 or 30 or 70 or something like that. And he chose 12 of them whom he also designated. And that word right there is apostles. Okay. And so here's a little bit of, we got to get through a little bit of theology here. So a disciple is distinct from an apostle. When we talk about the apostles, that means a sent one. An apostle is someone who had the authority of someone that was sent. Like imagine a, like a king would have someone that represented them and they would go to another country. Like a king would have an emissary. That, and that, that person, he was a sent one on behalf of the king. You know? And, and so... <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> and so he had the authority of that king or he had the authority of whoever he was represented. And he didn't have an authority of his own, but he had the authority of, of that whom he represented. And so we have here, Jesus takes out, and amongst his disciples, he picks out 12 that he says, you're going to be my apostles, okay? So an apostle is different from a disciple. An apostle are those guys that are firsthand eyewitnesses of Jesus. These are the guys that, that saw or touched uh, Jesus, right? And so there's these 12, and in other parts of Scripture, some other men are mentioned as apostles like Barnabas and Paul and Timothy and stuff like that. And these are men that, um, that had a certain authority about them. And so the office of apostle is closed, okay? Uh, sometimes you'll hear people say, like, we're all apostles. No, you're not. We're all disciples of Jesus. You are not an apostle of Jesus, Unless you saw him firsthand, unless you are a firsthand eyewitness, and he looks at you and says, I have given you authority. I've given you my specific authority. So when we talk about the apostles, we're talking about uh, the 12. And so let me point this out here. Is, um, he, he picks out 12. Hold on. He picks out how many? 12. Is that a significant number? Yes. Okay, good. You had a 50-50 chance and you guessed wisely. Yes, it is. 12 is a, is a significant number um, in Scripture. There's, people aren't 100,000% sure why did he pick out 12, uh, but most likely what he's doing is uh, there was a time years ago where there was this guy Abraham and the Lord said, hey, I'm going to make your descendants my people. And from Abraham comes the 12 tribes of what? Israel. And so now we're kind of in a weird transition time that Jesus has come for the Jews. He's come for the Israelites. 
And there's a point in his ministry in which the Jews have rejected his message and he will then turn to the Gentiles. And so we see what's happening here is this is kind of a shadow, kind of an image of Jesus selecting uh, not a replacement for, but kind of an image of another 12 um, I don't want to say replacing Israel, uh, but another selected group of people representing his people. Do y'all follow me on this? And so it's, it's very specific that he chooses 12 here. And then uh, flip over to Ephesians chapter uh, 2. We'll look at that real quick. So Ephesians chapter 2, this is, the, this is a um, letter written by the Apostle Paul. Even look at Ephesians chapter 1, 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And so this is, Ephesians is written to a bunch of churches around this area. <clears throat> and this is after the fact, this is after the church has been born. Uh, this is after the Holy Spirit has come on Pentecost. This is after the Holy Spirit has come upon Gentiles. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. Paul says, remember, he says, therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth, so you're going to see he's comparing and contrasting Israel and Gentiles. He's comparing and contrasting Israel with the church. And, and I hope you can see that this, help, hopefully it'll, it'll make Jesus selecting his 12 apostles, it'll put a little bit more light on that. He says, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, weird name by the way, that done in the body by the hands of men. Verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise so what he's saying here is man there was a time when god was about his people god was about the nation israel and you were not included in that you were not in the group why because you were not descended of abraham you were not one of the 12 tribes you didn't have the sign of circumcision like you weren't in he says you were excluded from the promise without hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in His flesh the law with its commandments and regulations his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two. He's talking about Israel and the church. Okay? Um, Thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are now no longer foreigners and aliens, 
but fellow citizens with God's people. That's a reference of now you are included in God's people. Now you are included with um, Israel. uh, Paul says in Romans chapter, I think it's 11 or 12, he talks about that now we've been grafted in with Israel. Um, Members of God's household built on the foundation, look here, of the what? Apostles and the what? Prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. In Him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in Him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. And so here's, here's the point here of why I, I went to that verse is that Paul says, hey, these, these two groups of people have now become one. Why is that? It's built upon the prophets and the apostles with Jesus Christ as the chief uh, cornerstone here. And so what Jesus does is He comes down from this mountain. He says, I'm going to select 12 apostles. And His plan was that then moving forward, He's creating this thing called the church. Which at this point in Luke chapter 6, the church has not been born yet. Okay, The church, you'll hear it all through New Testament, it's always referred to as a mystery. Do you want to know why it's called a mystery? Is because not a single time in the Old Testament is the church mentioned. Not one time. It's always Israel, 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 Israel. And Jesus comes on the scene, and He's preaching to Israel. He's preaching to His people he is rejected, and then he turns his message towards the Gentiles, and then he starts creating this thing called the church, right? And the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And so go back to Luke chapter 6 here. So let's, let me back up for a second. So Jesus is about to start moving his ministry forward. And notice he stops and he says, hey, this is a pretty serious deal. I'm going to need some help. Okay? Um, and he picks out these 12 uh, guys to be apostles. Um, he could have picked out more. He could have picked out less. Uh, but he selected 12. And then look in verse 14. Here he, he, uh, Luke is going to summarize. It says he, he designated apostles. Verse 14, he's going to name them. Watch. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And so I want to point out a few things. That list of the twelve, you can find it in Matthew, you can find it in Mark, you can find it here. You can find it in Acts. If you compare those lists, what you'll find are the first four. Uh, who is it? Peter, James, and John, and, um, and Philip. Those four are always listed first. Okay. Um, the rest of them, some of the names change. The reason for that is sometimes guys would go by their Greek name, or sometimes they'd go by their Hebrew name. Sometimes they'd have two names, like John was known as John Mark, and so sometimes he's called John, sometimes he's called Mark, you know what I mean? Like my daughters have several different names depending on the level of uh, what trouble they're in. Sometimes it gets elongated, right? Uh, And then the other thing I want to point out is that Judas is always mentioned last. You probably know why. And so um, let me say something. Did you notice something about that list? 
Anything that you noticed? <clears throat> well, Luke's not on there. That's correct. Luke is not an apostle. Yeah, isn't that interesting, by the way? I'm glad you said that. Who wrote most of the New Testament? The mo- who wrote the majority of it? Luke. He was not an apostle. Did you know that? Didn't see Jesus face to face. He was the only Gentile writer we have, and he wrote most of the New Testament. People think Paul wrote most of the New. No, he didn't. Paul wrote the most books. Luke wrote the most material, right? But I want to point this out. Maybe it's so obvious it's not obvious. They are all, and it's about to get uncomfortable in here, men. Jesus selects the leaders. I know, it just got real awkward, didn't it? And he picks all men. Some of y'all actually are making difficult faces. You know I can still see you, right? I can see your face. Okay, oh, some of y'all are leaning back in your chairs. Hold on, hold on. Hold on, in in our world, Russell, you can't even point that out. Did you notice I haven't said anything? I just pointed out the Bible. You see how uncomfortable it got in here? This is how much, by the way, the, the world is sneaking into the church. I noticed I just pointed out they're all men, and everybody went, oh gosh, here we go. Oh my gosh, okay. Uh, it's not my interpretation, right? He, he selects men. He picks men. He says, hey, I'm going to build uh, this thing moving forward. It's got to expand, and he says, I'm going to pick men. Okay, so if you're a thinking person, and you are, I know what you're probably thinking. You're probably thinking, well, hold on, Russell. And, and I've had this one argued before. You see, um, at the time... Uh, women were not very valued, and so, therefore, that's the reason that Jesus uh, only selected men was because culturally, uh, his message would have been rejected if it was um, sent by women. And to that, I say, that is a correct assessment. However, can you name any other cultural norms that Jesus abided by? I'll wait. Right? Right? If you think Jesus Christ held himself under the standard of the culture, you don't know the same Jesus I do, right? And so there is an argument that the only reason men were selected was because it was culturally normal. Then you haven't even looked at the rest of what Jesus did. And do not think that he thought little of women, right? And so that, that argument has, holds no water whatsoever. None. But this is what I want to point out. Jesus picked men. Okay? And so I want to say a couple other things. Uh, now, this will be countercultural. Men and women are not the same. We're not. We are equal in value, but we are not equivalent in abilities. Sorry, man. If, if you looked at me in the face and said, men and women are equivalent in abilities, I look at you and say, you're a fool. Right? We are completely equal in value, but equivalent in abilities. Like, and again, I'm just, I'm just being objective. On average, this is the easy stuff. On average, men are taller. On average, men are stronger. Right? Don't get offended. <laughs> Golly, I, oh, our world is so sensitive. On average, men are taller and stronger than women. Right? Is that, does that mean they're better? No. Right? On average, uh, women are much better at multitasking. On average, women are much better at communication. Much better. 
on average, women are much better at connecting the dots between two separate things. Like men, we think very linearly. Like we can, I can connect the dots as long as there's two dots. And as long as they're the only two dots, you know, <laughs> right? But on average, women, your brains just work differently. Like we have different gifts and that is a good thing. And in our world, what is happening, and just look for it, is when you say, hey, men and women are not equal, I mean, not equal, I'm sorry, when you say men and women are not the same in our world, it instantly goes to, well, then who's better? Everything's a competition, and it doesn't have to be. It's foolishness, right? For, for the church to stand up and say men and women are not the same, that does not instantly mean that, well, we have to decide who's the better one. Who's, who's more of a, it's, man, it's different gifts. Like we're so different. And so, and, and so the Lord, for some reason, he has chose to put the, the burden, and man, I mean burden of leading the churches. He's chose to put that on the shoulders of men. Why? I don't know. But he has. But man, you be careful out there. You're starting to see more and more the church is just slipping away from this. Men are being replaced. And we live in a culture right now, I've said this before, that go back 50 years, you had really strong men. Strong men make good times. Good times make weak men. Weak men make hard times. And hard times make strong men. And the cycle continues. And then those strong men create really good times. Those really good times create really weak men. That's where we are right now, by the way. Okay, these and when you have a culture of weak men, you know what's coming? Really hard times. But I know that you know what hard times are going to create? They're going to create strong men. You know, and this cycle continues. And that I think I feel like that's where we are right now. Is that we we've our good times have created a culture of really weak men, and so then and so then it's this issue of well, who's who's more valuable, men or women, and, and men can be replaced by women, and, and vice versa, and that's not God's design, and, and, and I'm here to say that, man, men, you can't be replaced, you know, you are the leaders, you are, and if you're thinking, I don't want to be a leader, too bad you are, right, it's like how men, do you know not one time in scripture, does it, it does, are we called to be the head of the household, you know that, right, the Bible never says, hey men, you need to be the head of the household. You know what it does say? It says, you are the head of the household. Sorry, right? And, and we live in a world that we think, oh, by the way, man, if you think like leadership, if you think in, in this context, if you think church leadership is something to be fought for and like, how come you get to do it? Dude, I would hand it over in a heartbeat if God allowed it. To my wife I would you know but he didn't create our shoulders to bear the same burdens right and vice versa she carries certain burdens that my my shoulders would crumble under the weight of it right and so that's just one of the last things I wanted to point it out Jesus selected men right and don't Dear church, don't let the world convince you that, that God's plan is, well, let's start progressing, let's start moving forward. You know, we, we have more and more women pastors, which the role of elder, again, it's, it's designated as for men in Scripture. That's not my opinion. That's what the Bible says, 
right? And that doesn't, that's not me standing up here saying, ha ha, you get the short end of the stick. No, it's not. It's the same thing with marriage. Like, I think husbands have the much, much more difficult role in that of a marriage. To lead their spouse the way Christ loved the church? Are you kidding me? Oh my gosh. Like, I would much rather have the role of the wife. But I don't. Because this is what the Lord has given us. And then the last thing I want to point out, super strange if you think about it. Verse 16, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Time out. Who, who's the last one? Judas Iscariot. Hey, time out. Time out. Didn't Jesus just pray about this all night? Think about this. Didn't Jesus pray all night, by the way? And, and the Lord, the Father, directed him, pick these 12. Anyone see the problem here? Have you ever thought about that? He, it, this wasn't a random selection. He was intimately connected with the Father and says, who do I pick? And God the Father said, that one, who will become a traitor, right? And so let me point this out, dear church, and let me destroy some of your theology real quick. Prayer, successful prayer, and I'll, I don't even know if that's a thing, successful prayer does not always make your life easier. In fact, sometimes it makes it harder. The, sorry, theology destroyed, right? Feelings hurt, <laughs> right? Millennials triggered. <laughs> sorry, was that too much? Sorry, was that too much? Uh, let me repeat that again. Six, a successful prayer life does not mean that your difficulties are removed. Sometimes it means that God actually puts them right in front of you. And so this is the last thing I'll, I'll say. Dear church, stop praying for an easy life. Instead, pray to be stronger men. Stop praying for an easy life. Because do you want to know what easy, good times create? Really weak men. Really weak men. And if, if, if God answered all my prayers, actually, I think if He answered all of our prayers exactly how we like, we would all be these pathetic, spineless, afraid of everything, uh, people walking through the world, which I may be describing a lot of Christians. I may be describing a lot of churches. That a lot of churches have lost their spine. A lot of churches are afraid. A lot of churches won't stand up and preach the truth. A lot of churches will say, hey, that might offend people, right? Instead, let's pray, God, man, God, strengthen our hands. That's the prayer of Nehemiah. I love that prayer. Like Nehemiah rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. He never prays, God, make it easy. He never prays, God, no enemies. He never prays. He says, God, he says what? Strengthen my hands. I love that prayer right? And so I just wanted to point that out. Jesus prays and prays and prays and prays, and the Father puts this difficult person named Judas right in front of him because it's for his plan, for his purpose. Stop praying for easy lives. Start praying to be stronger men, right? Because I feel like we're on the bottom of that cycle, man. I mean, it. some of you are old enough to see. Unfortunately, my girls aren't old enough to see. They think this is what men are, they think men wear dresses and men are painting their nails and, you know, men are terrified and scared of the world and 
Like you, we're raising a generation of men that don't know how to tie a tie. Like they can't swing a hammer. Like they don't know how to change oil in a car. And I'm not a macho dude. You know, if you know me, you know me. Like, you know, like I melt at the side of the kitten. Like, I mean it. If there's a kitten on the side of the road, it's coming home with me. Like I'm not this macho, look how tough I am. But I mean it, man. Unfortunately, my girls, they're getting raised around this generation of little boys that and some of these little boys are in 25-year-old bodies, 35-year-old bodies, 45-year-old bodies. Anyways, men, women, stop praying for easy lives. Start praying to be stronger men and women. I'm finished. Let me pray. <laughs> Father, thank you for today. And God, I, I want us to think about all of our difficulties that are in front of us. And Lord, I pray that we would take our eyes off them completely. Jesus, I do not pray for a good week. Jesus, I do not pray that our jobs would go well. I do not ask that you would make my life comfortable and make me happy and rich and wise. Instead, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our hands. Lord, that, that you would strengthen our shoulders and, and give us faith and help us press into one another and help us just to, to be people of prayer and to seek out the Father like you did, and then whatever the answer is, that we say, okay. And, and Lord, I pray, for, um, I pray for the men of this generation, God. I pray that, that we would constantly look to Jesus as what it means to be a man. Lord, I pray we would not listen to the culture. God, I pray for the church. I pray for those churches that are afraid. I pray for our pastors that they would stand up and that they would boldly proclaim, hey, here's God's truth. And, the, and the, that these men of God that stand at the pulpit, that, that they could say, hey, sorry, not sorry. I'm sorry if this offends you, but I'm, but I'm not sorry for bringing that message. God, I pray for our church. I mean, the, the church, the capital C church. God, we need, we need to return to you, God. We need to return to to your word and nothing else and stop being afraid and stop ah it's just a mess it is a mess and so god it's your church do what you want lord strengthen our hands god this is our prayer amen